the place for you to learn all things you need about becoming the healthiest and best version of you possible. I'm your host, Michael Sack, and I'd love to welcome you to the It All Starts With You podcast, where ambitious people come to learn all about healthy habits, mindset, nutrition, and everything around becoming the best you. Okay, on the show today, we have Joel Jameson, and I am absolutely fired up about this interview. Jolly is widely considered as one of the world's foremost authorities on strength and conditioning for combat sports. It trained many of the sports the best athletes since 2004. He's the author of the best-selling book, Ultimate MMA Mixed Martial Arts and Conditioning, and is a contributing writer to several top magazines and frequent guest speaker at conferences and seminars all over the world. He's worked with and consulted extensively for teams and organizations ranging from the Navy SEALs to Lifetime Fitness, and his BioForce HRV system is used by teams in the NFL, NBA, MLS, the NCAA, and more. He's best known for an individualized approach that is both based on the solid science and yet practical to apply. Joel has also created at eight weeks out his own unique program in 2009 to help clear up the misinformation and confusion surrounding an energy system. Since then, the site has become one of the authorities on strength and conditioning and performance. So Joel, huge honor. Welcome to It All Starts With You. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. Happy to be here. Thank you. Just for my audience and for your audience, just want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. How does that sure. sound? Awesome. No problem. So, <laughs> so where did you grow up? I grew up just outside of Seattle, Washington, uh, Pacific Northwest. Been there for most of my life, actually. Beautiful. And where do you live now? Uh, I've been half time kind of around that area in the Seattle area and then the other half time in Hawaii, which is uh, where I'm at now because it's a lot... A lot warmer here during the wintertime than it is back home in Seattle. So I, I spent my time between Hawaii and Seattle. Yeah, because Seattle, it gets pretty bloody cold, hey? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like East Coast cold, but it's, uh, it's wet and it's rainy and it's not much fun. So I like to spend my time on the beach versus the rain during the wintertime. It's funny because you can literally say it's winter, but the, wa- the water is tropical warm all year round. So it's like, well chase the sun <laughs> why not exactly it's uh, where i'm at now it's 80 degrees fahrenheit high every single day and about 70 degrees fahrenheit low every single day it's uh it's just on repeat basically it's hard to it's hard to beat it's it's great and why would you want to leave in the first place <laughs> exactly <laughs> what's your what's your favorite food uh favorite food i mean i'm, I'm definitely like a meat and potatoes you know steak and Prime rib guy. I've also got a thing for banana pudding, banana cream pie, banana bread, all those sorts of things. So um, probably one of, one or the other, I guess, depending on what I'm, what mood I'm in. Yeah, exactly. You can't say no to good banana bread. It's all toasted and warm. It's like, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's your account. It is. You can't Great just stuff. that. 
What's that, sir? I uh, banana bread any kind is 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 good in my book. Sure. What would be your superpower? Uh, what would be my superpower if I could yeah. choose? Oh, I, I I would fly if I could oh. without without aircraft. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that one. What's your X factor? Uh, my X factor. Mm. Give me an example. What's your X factor? I think being in the fitness space. Um, and not as long as you, it's looking at something complicated and most people won't understand and then dumbing it down for people that understand it. Gotcha. You know, I think what I've always strived to do is as much as anything else is, is pull different pieces of the health and fitness performance spectrum together and connect the dots in ways that people don't always see them. So I've, I've looked at a lot of areas outside of health and fitness to try to understand health and fitness. And I think that's given me a, a broader perspective and something I've tried to, again, kind of bring to the average person is, is looking beyond just the usual stuff you read in magazines and the stuff you see over and over again, and trying to give people a new perspective on things. Absolutely. There's so much information out of it. It's hard to decipher it all and try to get a better understanding. Yeah, I mean, body, human body is complex, right? I mean, there's so many moving pieces. It's it's not like uh, we're dealing with something simple when you talk about the human body from health, fitness, performance. I mean, there's there's just infinite complexity. So I, I think it's valuable for us to look outside the box and look at different perspectives and try to understand things in different ways than we traditionally have. And that's really the only way to push things forward is to try new approaches and new ideas versus just doing the same thing over and over again. What do you mean by looking at different approaches? What would be a prime example for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing I've talked about recently that probably is a good example of this is, is the idea of how our body produces energy and, and calories. So yeah. the traditional assumption is, you know, if, if, if I walk 10,000 steps a day, I probably burn more calories. And if I walk 5,000 steps a day, and if I, if I walk 20,000 steps a day, I probably burn more total calories if I walk 10,000 and so on and so on. So people have this idea that there's a very linear relationship between activity and total calories burned in a day, right? That's a very kind of standard thing people would assume. And so the idea is, oh, I need to be more active. I just need to take more steps every day. I need to burn more calories every day. And that's going to help make me more fit. But that's not really the truth. And that's been shown through this a really good research in Herman Ponzer, who did some research on basically an African tribe and looked at how many calories they burned relative to their activity levels and did a bunch of research in this different area. I mean, he came up with what he called the constrained model of, of energy expenditure. And what this shows us is that the total number of calories you burn is a finite limit, meaning there's, there's a set or an upper limit in how many calories you burn. And once you try to go beyond that by being more active, you just pull calories away from other areas, which often impact our fitness and our health and our immune function and well-being and all these different things. And so understanding his research, I and mean, he wasn't doing his research to understand fitness or performance. He was looking at it from an anthropological perspective, long word there, yeah. uh, to, try to, to try to just understand hunter-gatherer tribes and how they differ from Western societies. But there's a lot to learn from that. Uh, and what we, what we pull out of that is simply that the idea of, of more is better and you, know, you just need to be more active to burn more calories, to lose more weight, it just doesn't hold up. And he actually looked at you know, countries like Japan, which are incredibly inactive actually compared to Americans and yet their body fat is, you know, massively lower. BC rates are massively lower. So, you know, just this idea that we need to move more and we're going to solve our epidemic of obesity and we need to go as far as we can and we need to burn as many calories as we can. 
that idea doesn't actually play out in the real world. And I think that interesting science, like what Dr. Ponder showed us, uh, explains why and gives us a different way to think about things. And instead of thinking burn as many calories as we can each day, we need to understand that we have a limit to that and we want to have enough calories left over to make ourselves fitter and healthier versus just trying to, you know, again, burn as many calories as we can. So that's probably a good example of that, that thought process, at least. Exactly. I'm, I'm curious to know, we talk about it, energy out. What's your take on that in the first place? On, on which take, energy in, energy out, or what? Yeah, energy in, energy out. Because uh, as you said, there's this, we're consuming these calories, this food, wherever, wherever it may come from. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, you know, calories in, calories out does matter. I mean, you do actually have to look at the big picture of how many calories you consume, but you also have to look at where those calories come from. That matters. And then on the flip side of that, you do have to be mindful of it's not just a game of as many calories out as possible. It's not just a game of go as far as you can, burn as many calories you can as you as is each workout or take as many steps a day as possible. It's all about balance, right? You if you if your goal is to just slowly lose weight, you do have to have a slight caloric deficit, meaning you do have to burn slightly more than you take in, but it can't be such a large extreme that it causes the body to react by pulling energy away from important areas that are driving your health and fitness. So I think what it comes down to it is, and, and there's research showing this, you know, people, there's a, there's a control group, you know, there's a group that does X amount of exercise and there's a group that does twice as much exercise and there's a group that does twice as much exercise. And you don't see a linear relationship in fat loss or weight loss. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. So um, the, the big picture is you have to look at all those variables. You do have to look at calories in calories out, but you also have to be mindful of, it's not always a simple equation because it's not a linear relationship. You know, it's not always as simple as go twice as far, burn twice as many calories, lose twice as much weight because the body reacts. So we have to understand how the body reacts. And a lot of times when you try to have a big caloric deficit, the body reacts by making less motivated to move and, and more hungry and wanting you to motivating you to eat more. So we just have to understand where we're, we are complicated, you know, human beings, and there's a lot of processes going on. Yeah. So when we zoom out and just look at calories in, calories out, that's one thing. But we have to understand the reaction of our bodies to manipulating both of those. If that makes sense. So uh, how would you be manipulating it in regards to overall performance? Because this, this is something that you've mastered and have worked with so many unique individuals. So, so I, I'm just curious to know what your take on the yeah, well, you have to, Sure, you have to look at the goal, first of all, right? If, if someone's goal is to maximize performance, then it's all about nutrient timing and making sure they're getting enough calories, making sure that they have the right nutrients to recover and they're doing all the things that allow their bodies to you know, train and recover and repeat that process over and over again. And so you're making sure, uh, you know, again, that that is their needs are being met and they're not creating too big of a deficit. This is something you see in combat sports all the time because guys are trying to make weight. So they're trying to lose, you know, weight before a fight, but they're also training four to five, sometimes six hours a day. So it's this really difficult game of you. If you create too big a caloric deficit, then you're probably going to make yourself more susceptible to injury. Your performances are going to suffer. You know, all these things are going to have a problematic side versus somebody who just needs to lose a few pounds and just needs to get off the couch. That's a very different goal. So the biggest thing I would just say is you, you have to be very mindful of someone's goals, someone's abilities, someone's genetics, and you have to create as much of an individualized plan for them as possible. I think the hard thing in fitness is that, right? It's, it's understanding that each of us is different and we all have different limitations, different physiology, different psychology. 
And we have to be mindful that what works for somebody else might not be what's going to work for us. And so that's, um, you know, that's the art and science of coaching and, and self-coaching is, is understanding that your own body is unique and you got to figure out what works and what's sustainable and the right approach. Because again, what works for one athlete I've worked with might be completely a terrible approach for another one. You know, no two athletes are the exact same. And you have to understand as a coach that you're going to have to learn that person's abilities and limitations and habits and everything else and, and learn to work with them. So that's the biggest thing I would say is, you know, don't consider it you know, a plug and play where I can just take one thing that works for somebody and it's going to work for you because it, it might not. You've got to really start investing the time and in, in figuring out what works for each person and for yourself if you're coaching yourself. You've worked with Demetrius and I am Alistair Johnson, who for a period of time was a world champion the, in the UFC and you've worked with the Navy SEALs. So what to their demands is going to be vastly different to a mixed martial arts champion. So yeah, exactly. It's so vastly different. When it comes to strength and conditioning, where do you see people or coaches getting it wrong? You know, I think if we're talking about athletes, I, I think the problem is people tend coaches uh, tend to not have enough understanding of the demands of the sport or have enough of a symbiotic relationship with the demands of sport. This is particularly true in combat sports where unfortunately sometimes a, an athlete will be forced to have two, three or four separate coaches on the skill side, sometimes in different gyms. So they might go to a wrestling coach and then they go to a boxing coach and then they go to a jujitsu coach and then they go to a strength conditioning coach and they're not all on the same page. And so instead of seeing one complete comprehensive program, you get three, four or five different programs that don't all work together. And the athlete ends up high injury rates and just not a very, you know, constructive program to make progress. So the strength and conditioning coach needs to understand everything else that's going on in the athlete's life, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's other training or whether that's mental stress of work or lack of sleep or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be going on, you have to understand the big picture of someone's life and the demands of that life, whether that's sports or just everyday life, to be a good strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I think the biggest mistake they make is, is thinking that their training exists in a vacuum, meaning that everything else around it doesn't impact it, but that's just not the way the body works. The body is connected, right? 24 hours, seven, your body is, is functioning to do whatever you're asking it to do. Mm -hmm. And that's not disconnected from your workout, that's directly connected from your workout. So like I said, if somebody has got a big deadline at work and they're stressed out, they're not sleeping, they're going to respond very differently to your workout and they probably need different things than if they're not, and if they're sleeping really well and they're relaxed and everything is good. So you just have to understand that training does not exist separately from the other 23 hours a day. They're all connected and you have to have as much information about the big picture of someone's life and their demands if you're going to be an effective coach. How much of an effect does stress play in not only in your training, but also with your overall life. We'll I mean, massive effect, right? I mean, the, the, the hour a day in the gym is obviously stressful, but the, you know, the other 23 hours a day dictate the results of, of what happens in the gym. And stress is a big piece of that because ultimately what stress is about is energy. So when, when we are stressed out, our brain is, is working and our stress response is kicking in. So that means, we are diverting energy away from recovery and diverting energy away from improving fitness markers and even diverting energy away from health in different areas. So stress is really the biggest driver in, in many, many ways of how our bodies respond to training and what our long-term health 
on you know performance fitness outcomes look like. So any, anybody that's not familiar with this concept, this is how important it is, should look at Dr. Robert Sapolsky. He's really a guy I looked up to and admired tremendously for his ability to, to translate science and science concepts into very understandable um, things on that side. So he wrote a book called like why zebras don't get ulcers. He's got a, a free course on YouTube from Stanford, a course he teaches on the biology of stress and all this uh, human behavior biology. So if, if you're not familiar with the role stress plays in our life and just how crucial it is, whether you're an athlete or, or you're just somebody who wants to live a long, healthy life, you, you really need to understand this because it really is the most crucial thing to your long-term health and to what you see as a result of your work in the gym. So it's, yeah. it's a massive piece of it. So when someone is uh, under the pump like that and is uh, having a high levels of stress, what would be your first initial step to really bring them back to a homeostasis? I mean, the best thing you, you need to do is teach somebody how to shut off that stress response mentally. So there's, there's a lot of things you can do, but even, even just teach them how to spend five minutes in the middle of their day, listen to music that's calming or putting themselves in a quiet room where they can kind of get away from whatever's uh, impeding them or whatever is stressful or teaching them to just be able to breathe and take a minute to turn on that parasympathetic nervous system and turn down that stress response. There's lots of different strategies, but you have to be aware of stress in the first place. And then you have to want to take know what action to, to take to break it. So a lot of people just kind of go through their lives and they're stressed and they don't, they're just get used to it is probably the best way to, to describe it. And so they don't necessarily know that could, they could change it or that they could take a few minutes and, and have an impact on their health by, by breaking that. But I think we're starting to make more progress in this area. I think people are starting to be aware of mindfulness and meditation and yoga and breathing. And these things are starting to come more to the forefront of fitness, which I think is a good thing. So there's, there's more options, you know, there's apps like calm and headspace and, things that people can download in their phone that can help them just break some of that stress cycle and spend a few minutes relaxing. So I think anything that people can do, the easiest way to know if it's working is look at your heart rate. Uh, you know, if you can just get your heart rate down a few beats in the middle of a stressful day and you can break that cycle, your, your chances of, of having a positive impact are high. So I would, I would just start there with, you know, get someone to breathe and relax and just spend five or 10 minutes uh, working on actively trying to calm themselves down and, and break that stress response cycle. Because like I said, a lot of times you just, you're mindlessly in that stress response. You don't realize it. Um, but if you can spend a few minutes breaking that chain and you can get your heart rate down, your stress response turned off or at least turned down, you're going to be in a much better place. Say someone is uh, having a, that high stress response. I'm curious to know, your body is trying to fight uh, and lower this feeling in at the first place. Where is the body you're taking all this energy from? Because obviously your body is trying to take it back to a homeostasis, back to this irregular level. Where is the body you're using this energy? Where are all the nutrients being taken from? Well, it's breaking down whatever it's got available, right? So at rest, you're typically burning more, more fat than carbs. But ultimately, the more stressed out you are, the more it's going to start to pull energy away from where you want to go, which is you, you want the energy driven anabolically into recovery, into muscle tissue repair, into immune function, into reproductive function, into skin and hair and all the things that we need to replenish and renew constantly to keep ourselves healthy. And so it, it tends to start pulling calories away from those things. So every, everybody's experience is probably where you're going through a very stressful period. You start to have problems thinking as clearly. You start to have less sex drive. You start to feel just generally more tired and fatigued, or maybe you get a cold, you get sick. Those are all signs that your body is dealing with that stress by pulling energy 
away from putting it into those areas of health and wellness. So those symptoms are just reflecting that your body is driving energy into stress versus into repair and health and wellness, you know, th that side of things. So there's, there's a lot of things you can look for, uh, but a lot of times, you know, people aren't aware of the cause of those, that sickness or the cause of those different things are, is stress. They just don't recognize that all the time. Yeah, exactly. When you've worked with some of these elite athletes, how have you been able to help them um, regulate this, this stress? Because it's like for an NFL player that's about to play in front of 20, like 50,000 plus people, or if you have a mixed martial artist, that's about a fight in front of 60,000 plus people. How have you been able to help these guys to regulate to their stress levels? Yeah, I mean, look, there's some level of stress response that's good, right? I mean, you need to go out and perform and the stress response is, is designed for that in some ways. But at the same point in time, when you are overproducing adrenaline and noradrenaline and you're overstressed and you're uh, unable to to manage that you burn yourself out really quickly right you you produce more energy than you need and you you gas yourself out so a lot of that just comes down to effective training i mean you need to use the training process to prepare someone for the stress of competition so you know that's where being very smart in your training start to replicate some aspects of the environment uh, whether it's using noise or heat or cold or whatever to introduce some of the elements they're going to be facing competition um, whether it's teaching them how to control their heart rate through different drills and training and teach them how to lower their heart rate when they're stressed in the in the actual competition i mean it's just coaching in general your your goal should be to prepare the athlete mentally and physically for the stress of competition uh and so a big part of that like i said i use heart rate a lot because heart rate's the best way to see where somebody's at from a stress if somebody's walking out to the octagon in the ring and their heart rate's 160 and they're just standing there they're they're probably not in for a good ride right so uh, it's it's teaching them to be aware of what their heart rates are at and what their energy is doing and teaching them that they can control that through through mental processes they can they can relax themselves they can control that process through you know practice and technique it's a skill that they can learn so that's really what the whole goal of of training is it's it's to prepare them for the competition not just the skill side of it but the physical and mental side that regulates all that energy production and all that stress response and all the elements that go into performance so it's it's training the, the ultimate answer is you train for the competition and then big piece of that is train to manage a stress response oh, that's really interesting you're doing this initial exposure before the actual fight and we're seeing it more and more you're having these bigger athletes that they're already imagining this exposure and that and it's being replicated within the gym so that initial stress that initial feeling it's already straight off the bat so walking into the ring of the octagon or whatever it's like oh, i've already felt this eight weeks out 12 weeks out or however long yeah and the biggest thing is the the body finds stress in the unknown in the uncertainty and in the novelty right so you know the the first fight you have you're you're more nervous than if you've been a veteran for 10 years because you know what to expect um or or fighting in a new place or competing somewhere you've never been like the the, the stress of, of newness the body or something that's unfamiliar with or it doesn't know the outcome that's where stress really drives uh the process and you have to just again coach that and train that and, and make that part of preparation to, to make the athlete more well prepared to handle it so that it doesn't feel like it's this new scary thing where there's all these unknowns the more they feel like they can control the more they feel like they're familiar the less stressed they're going to be 
how much of a factor it does in nutrition to play when it comes to, to the regulation of stress? Uh, I mean, it plays a fair response or sorry, a fair role. It depends on, you know, what the demands of the sport are, right? So for example, doing something, you know, very demanding physically on a very low carb situation tends to amplify the stress response because it amplifies inflammation, some other things, or, you know, load yourself up with stimulants before something that's going to be very stressful can have a negative effect. If you're, you know, you're already amped up and you've just amped up a bunch of added a bunch of stimulants on top of that. So, you know, and then also I would say just, uh, you know, foods you've never eaten. This is one thing I see all the time, you know, an athlete goes to a foreign city or a foreign country to compete and they're eating foods that they're incredibly unfamiliar with. They, they don't eat these on a regular basis. They weren't a part of their training camp and that can have an impact on how their body processes everything. So one of the things we've always done is, you know, establish very clear rituals of what foods are eaten and times are eaten and how the nutrition supports a training camp. And then we replicate that in wherever the fight or the competition or whatever kind ends up in. So you, you might have to go walk or take a bus or whatever to go get your food, but making sure you get the right food is important. And, you know, we see this with athletes who go to Japan and they would eat completely differently at home or athletes that would come from Japan to America, whatever the case, making sure the body is in a very cyclical, you know, habitual patterns is the best way to have it perform consistently over and over again. It's, it's when you start adding in weird foods and weird sleeping patterns and new environments and all these things just get thrown at the body. It, it performs much less consistently and you run into problems when it just doesn't handle the change in environment very well. It's a lot less to do with the willpower and a more to do with habits because that habit is um, duplicatable. It can be done no. over and over and over again. The body just finds new and unpredictable the most stressful. If, if you've never experienced something and you're not sure what's going to happen, that's stressful. The body can't predict outcomes and it can't uh, doesn't know what to expect. That's what drives the stress response. And, and biologically, that's it makes sense. You're out in the wild and you're a predator or you're a prey and you don't know what's coming next. That's where the stress response comes from. Or if you were a predator, and you have to get your prey. You need that burst of energy because you don't know if you're going to get another chance if you don't catch that that prey right now. So just from an evolutionary perspective, it's it's the unpredictability and the novelty of situations that are a big role, play a big role in, in what causes us to become stressed out. So the more we can reduce those things, uh, the more likely we are to be able to control and manage our stress response effectively. And that's, again, nutrition, sleep, training, uh, crowd response, all of that applies to that. Really interesting. Moving it towards the recovery what system would you be using when it comes to overall recovery? Let's take, um, let's take a jiu-jitsu for, for example. It's very demanding on the body and now it's time for recovery because everyone needs to recover. What, what nutritional system would you be using in the first place? Well, look, when we talk about recovery, we have to look at the big picture of training and stress and the process of, of doing that over and over again, training and recovering and going back and forth. So it's, it's never just one thing. Uh, you know, the, the recovery starts with proper training management in the first place. So overloading somebody to the point where they can't recover. I don't care what you do. You you've, you've screwed yourself to start with. So, you know, the first thing we have to look at is, is what is their training load? What is their sleep? You know, how many steps are they, going in, how many calories they're burning, how mentally stressed are they? I mean, all these things come into play when we figure out what's the right intervention. You know, the, the right intervention might be doing some regeneration strategy like a, I don't know, cold plunge or sauna or 
hot tub or whatever the case may be, or it may just be really focusing on getting them to sleep because they're not sleeping enough. It's, it's really hard to say, you know, always do this because what could be limiting someone's recovery could be totally different from one athlete to the next. You know, we're, we always need to look at what is someone's living factor. Uh, you know, I always start with sleep because sleep's where you are the most anabolic and where recovery is being driven the most. Right. And then we can work backwards into their training, their nutrition, their activity and everything else and figure out what needs to be, you know, fixed or, or improved, I guess, to, to make sure they're, they're recovering the fastest. So if someone's not recovering, my first question is, well, why not? Right. Recovery is not just something you, you're not going to overtrain from one workout or, or two workouts, you know, overtraining and lack of recovery is something that happens from a process that's broken. So what is, what in the process needs to be fixed to prevent somebody from overtraining? How do I speed up recovery? Well, I make sure that their body can handle the training load in the first place. Uh, I, I try to not let somebody get overloaded to the point that they can't recover and they need all these additional things to, to get back to normal. So I'm, I'm going to always try to start with fixing the right, fixing the process and making sure that it's what it needs to be in the first place before I go start doing all these additional layers of things on top of that. If you go so far down the path that someone's totally shot, then you, you probably miss the warning signs in the first place. Oh, it's really interesting. It's this really simple or basic approach of a People, people are just want to overcomplicate it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think people, to me, it's like nutrition, right? Everyone wants to find the supplement that's going to be the magic supplement for them, whether it's fat loss or, or strength or whatever. It's the same thing with recovery. Like everyone wants to find some magical recovery special modality without fixing their training process to begin with. I mean, there's, there's I'm not saying that stuff doesn't have its use, yeah. but if you're sleeping six hours a night and you're training two hours a day, I don't care what you do. Like you, you can't out, you know, recover, you can't use some sort of recovery modality to, to fix a bad broken process and training program in the first place. So I'll layer those things in as necessary, but nine times out of 10, you know, it's just about looking at their overall train volumes or overall train intensities, this amount of sleep they're getting, the calories they're getting and fixing those processes first and foremost, and then recovery becomes a whole lot easier. But again, if you're not looking at a big picture, you think you just need to go jump in a cryo or you need to go. I don't know, do some compression or whatever. Like those, those are just band-aids, you know, you, you got to fix the process in the first place. Really? Yeah, no, I, I love that. I'm really glad that you talked about a supplementation about say the person who's doing this process, right? He's he or she is sleeping, right? Getting a good nutrition. The timing is right. And all, all of that, where does supplementation play in this bigger picture? Sure. I mean, there's, there's definitely some supplementation that can help with specific things. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to be nutrient deficient. So there's, there's some value in, in just having a, you know, a broad spectrum of multivitamin mineral type things. There's, there's periods where you're very stressful. You might want a good anti-inflammatory. There's periods where you might have problems sleeping and you want to add in some additional sleep things. I think it's more about situational specifics where you might want to add in some supplements but I just tend to not rely on, you know, there, there's no supplement where I say everybody should take this all the time. It's really situational and individual dependent on where a supplement can help. I mean, if you can't get enough food in because you're in the gym all day, then, you know, good protein shakes and carbs during your training and those sorts of things can be really valuable. So a lot of, a lot of it, I would say is, you know, making sure that your training nutrition is dialed in and then you're getting enough calories and you're getting enough protein. And if you do all those things, right. You probably don't need a whole lot of additional supplements because they'll probably have a very marginal benefit um, for the person. 
Well, it's a supplement. You're adding it onto or whatever you're doing. You can't out supplement a shitty diet. <laughs> exactly. And then, like I said, that's the problem is everybody wants a supplement or they want a recovery modality. But like I said, there's usually, there's, I always look at it, what can I, what can I have the biggest impact with? And rarely is the answer a supplement. You know, there's usually a lot of other things I can fix first before supplement would be the thing that's going to have the best impact for them, the biggest, the biggest improvement. Yeah, very true. And every person's, we keep coming back to this, but every person's demands on the sport is, is going to vary so drastic, so drastically. Exactly. I'm curious to know uh, what's your take on a meal replacement to shakes and uh, that kind of stuff. There's an endless amount of a meal replacement. So I'm just curious to know where do you stand with that? I mean, look, the, the preference is always whole food, right? I mean, if, if you can get somebody eating whole food and good quality food, you're going to be better off. If somebody's just not going to because they're too busy and for whatever reason, that's just not going to happen, then there's, you know, there's there's no harm, I would say, in, in getting it from a meal replacement source, like a good protein shake and or whatever, versus not getting it at all. You know, so like, for example, if I've got somebody who works 60 hours a week and I know they're just not going to eat the way that they should, then I can at least get them to eat some protein shakes or, or something in that realm that's going to be better than nothing. So again, you kind of use it where you have to, but the, the preference is always to try to get enough calories and enough protein through whole food. But it also depends on, you know, someone who's 250 pounds, you know, is a pro linebacker or lineman is 300 pounds. I and mean, it's pretty hard for them to eat enough food a lot of times to, to meet the demands of their, of their training. All of them. There's a ton of food and a ton of calories. So sometimes, you know, certain athletes are, that are just, in very demanding sports and they're, they're big guys with a ton of muscle, you know, it becomes more convenient and easier to drink some of those calories from a protein standpoint or a carbohydrates before or after practice than the not. So, you know, again, it just kind of depends on the person. How does the quality of our nutrition affect our overall conditioning? I mean, look, it affects it a lot, obviously the, the quality of nutrients dictates how the body can metabolize it and how, it's used. So if you're, if you're, you know, eating low quality food with lots of fillers and poor ingredients and, you know, additional things you don't want, it's, it's going to have a negative impact on your health, your performance and, and really everything. So you know, I can tell you from eating in Hawaii, where you get a lot of really high quality fruits, I get poke every day that's fresh from, you know, the fish that are coming out of the sea that day, probably. I mean, it makes a big difference in how you, how you feel in your overall health. If you're, you know, able to have very fresh foods and you're able to have very high quality ingredients, you know, it makes a massive difference. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of times it's expensive. You know, Hawaii food is double the expense uh, sometimes the food here than it is in the mainland, but you get what you pay for here. So, yeah. uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind paying a little extra money to get a lot higher quality food. And I, I personally notice a difference when I'm eating food here, that's very fresh and very healthy and minimally processed versus, you know, stuff you end up eating elsewhere. How does it affect us uh, negatively? Uh, it's just it, generally speaking, it's it's takes more of it to have the same benefit, and it can have uh, you know some ingredients that you react to. So you know, I'll give me examples. You can you can measure a lot of this stuff looking at heart rate variability, um, HRV, which we could talk about at some point. But yeah. I've seen cases over and over again where people eliminate something they're eating their diet, and they didn't realize it was having a negative impact on them, and all of a sudden their HRV shoots up, or they they change to a more you know diet based approach of of whole foods and. Uh, less processed food and you see their HRV go up. So, you know, the exact mechanisms, you know, who knows, there's probably multiple things going on. Um, but I can tell you when you start getting people eating good, healthy foods that are high quality, you see a noticeable change 
oftentimes in their HRV, in their recovery. So there's something going on under there that the body responds well to when you have, you know, really good high quality foods versus junk or versus lower quality foods. How are you, uh, how are you using this uh, HRV, this heart rate of variability in uh, like, uh, how are you using it to, in regards to, to nutrition and performance specifically? Yeah. I mean, so HRV is a catch-all. It looks at the activity of the, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the system that drives energy towards recovery and, and looking at the average is a very good indicator of just overall resilience and overall ability to mitigate the, the stress of life. So, you know, you can't single out one thing, most often not, but you can look at the big picture of things and you can look at what you're changing. And like I said, a lot of times, you know, you, you see people who are struggling to see their HRV improve and their performance is just kind of stuck. And then you make a change. You, you have them try a new approach to diet or you introduce some, some new thing that improves their sleep or whatever. And then you look at what's happening. And, you know, a lot of times, like I said, you introduce uh, some changes to their diet and you look and see what happens. And if you have a positive impact, you'll see a noticeable change in their average HRV over a week or two, you'll see it go up. And sometimes you don't. Everybody's different. What you're just looking for is some sort of a response. And obviously you want that response to be positive, which you'll see in their average HRV going up over a period of time, or you'll see them covering faster by seeing their HRV return to baseline quicker after a period of stress or workout or whatever. So uh, that's where some of the, the nuances and subtleties of HRV come into play. But if you know what you're looking for, you know how to use it. It's a very powerful tool because of that. How is this a powerful tool in the first place? Well, look, like I said, it's, it's, it's measuring how much energy your body is putting into recovery and it's measuring your body's ability to effectively turn off that stress response and, and deal with stress effectively. So, you know, if someone's HRV on average is lower, it, it means that their body is not as good at being resilient. It's not as good at managing stress. It's not as efficient from a cardiovascular standpoint. And there's lots of research that shows there that you're more likely to die of cardiovascular disease or stroke or diabetes or whatever the case may be. The, the more stress your body can deal with effectively, the healthier you're going to be in the long run because you're going to be better at damage or mitigating the damage of stress. You know, chronic stress is very damaging. It, it causes all kinds of problems uh, ranging from, uh, you know, arthrosclerosis to diabetes. I mean, multiple things start and end with excessive periods of chronic stress over and over again. So if your body is better at dealing with that and preventing that, then you're going to be healthier. You're going to tolerate higher training loads. You're less likely to get diseases. You're, you know, overall just a much healthier person. So it's a valuable tool because we can see that happening and we can see the changes and we can establish baselines without having to do blood testing or that having to do complex, expensive uh, lab tests. We can just look at your HRV over time and we can get a very good gauge over whether or not we're building resilience or building stress resilience or not. That's really interesting. Are you using it more as a preventative under this long-term tool, as you will, to help an athlete or a day-to-day -day person, allow them to train for an extended period of time rather than hitting 60 or 65 or whatever, and then crashing and burning it because they've been ignoring all, all of the signs earlier in the piece. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the single best, you know, marker of what is your overall health and wellness and, and how stress resilient are you? And somebody with a much lower HRV, they're, they're much higher risk for a wide range of health problems. And they're, they're much higher risk for overtraining if they were to do a training program, because they just can't respond to stress as effectively. They can't 
drive energy into recovery effectively. They can't turn off the inflammation from stress effectively. And that just sets them up for problems down the road. So you're, you're, if you want a single metric to look at for health and wellness, it's, it's HRV without a question. That's so fascinating. Never really thought about it. You hear a lot of these fighters talk about lowering one's stress and breathing about it's like okay cool you're a pro fighter whatever but how the hell are you doing it in the first place and so now having an understanding of this is is fascinating it's absolutely incredible with all of this being said what can be done to to improve this all well, look, I think the, the starting point, like I mentioned, is it's a process of removing your limiting factors. So there's there's never any advice where I say everybody should go always do this. I mean, it depends. If you're already doing something really well, then move on to the next thing. But each person should evaluate what are the things that I do really well from a nutrition standpoint, from a stress management standpoint, from a train standpoint, from a sleep standpoint, and what are the things that I suck at? Right? What am I not doing very well? Am I, am I not getting enough calories? Am I not eating food at the right time? Am I not getting enough sleep? Figure out what your limitations are and your your biggest roadblocks and then work on improving them one at a time. And that's the other thing I would say is people tend to try to do too much at once. When they figure things out, they're like, oh, I'm doing this, this, this poorly. I need to fix all of it. You you probably won't fix all of it if you try to do it all at once. So in general, I, I tell people, figure out what are the things you're not doing as well as you need to. And then pick one and then spend the next month and fix it and work on it and make it better. And then once you feel like you've got that pretty well dialed in, move on to the next thing and just repeat that process. So, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, you know, are you eating enough calories? Are you getting enough foods from the right sources? Are you eating around your training? You know, what, what are you doing uh, right now? And what's the easiest thing you can change to make the biggest difference? And that's the other thing is, I always look at how much work does it take to change something and how much is that outcome going to have if I do change it? And I try to avoid things that are going to take a lot of work to lead to a minimal change, right? I want to have the opposite of that. I want to have the smallest amount of work to lead to the best improvement, the biggest change uh, outcome, right? So for example, maybe I'm not getting enough sleep. And maybe the reason I figure that out is because I'm watching Netflix too late and it's keeping me up and I, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to fix that. But maybe I also realize that I'm drinking a ton of caffeine like four hours before bedtime. So I'm going to start out, well, I can stop drinking caffeine and substitute for a non-caffeinated drink. That's a very easy change to make. I'll start there and then boom, my sleep improves. Okay, well, now my sleep's better, but I'm still watching Netflix. Now I decide, okay, maybe I'm going to watch Netflix, but I'm going to watch one episode or two or whatever. It's just a process of trying to figure out what's the, what's the easiest thing that I can change in my life to have the biggest improvement as a result. And I try to steer people down that path. Versus again, trying to make these big, huge sweeping changes in lifestyle that aren't very likely to stick. It's, it's about finding that one or two things you can start with, fixing them, make improvements, see the outcome, see the, the improvement you made, and then repeating that evaluation process. And a lot of times you just start fixing little things. And over time, the little things add up to big improvements and outcomes and much better health and performance. It's being systematic and sure it's training hard but it's smarter instead of just grind, 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 which a lot of the time it is the narrative for that. So we see it all over the place and yep. it may work for one or two percent, but for the vast majority, it's like change smarter, be systematic with what you are changing and use this HRV, this heart rate of variability to, well, Get more bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. And the biggest thing I always tell people, intensity is great, but consistency is better, 
right? Consistency mm -hmm. is ultimately leads to results and too much intensity actually is an enemy of consistency because you will not consistently train at high intensities for very long period of time. So I always tell people make, make decisions about what's going to help you train tomorrow and the next day and the next day and be healthy, make the right decisions. Don't make decisions about today, make them about what's going to help you do the right thing over and over again. And so you can't, you can't take this mindset, like you mentioned, of just, I'm going to smash myself every day because that's not going to lead to consistency. No one's going to do that indefinitely. So it's, it's about consistency above all else, consistency in diet, consistency in sleep, consistency in training, consistency in, in how you recover from stress. Just thinking from that perspective of how can I be consistent, not how can I have intensity? If you answer that in terms of consistency, you'll make better decisions. And if you just think about trying to go as far as you can, or as long as you can, or have the biggest calorie deficit you can, or, or, or whatever, I think it's about consistency above all else, because it's, it's small improvements over long periods of time that lead to lasting results. And that is dependent on consistency above all else. Which is why we don't see CrossFit athletes from <laughs> 65 plus because they've destroyed their bodies day in and day out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the intensity is the young man's game. Consistency is, is the lifelong game. You're seeing, um, I've brought people onto this a podcast that have been doing a jiu-jitsu and now for longer than I've been alive. And they've been training as smarter. It, it, sure, they trained harder when they were a lot younger, but now it's how can I be doing this in the long run where I can be 70, 80, even 90 years old and still on the mats and still training and so it's smarter than destroying our bodies. Exactly. I mean, that's, I said, I think that's, it's a lesson that people learn over time, but, uh, you know, hopefully you can learn the, the sooner you can learn that lesson, the better off you're going to be. Absolutely. Mate, I am so grateful that you've been able to put aside time and jump on this show. So I'm, so I'm really grateful about that. If you were to go back to your 18 year old self and give him 10 seconds of advice, what would it be? Hmm. You know, I think, I think I would tell him, in a nutshell, you know, plan for the future and act like the future is now because it will be right. So, you know, when you're young, you don't really think about the future a whole lot. I'm, I'm 42 now and I'm actually having to make decisions about retirement and long-term stuff that I never would have considered when I was 18. You know, I, if I was planning ahead when I was 18, like I plan ahead now, I would be much further off now than, than, uh, you know, I am, but you know, I, I do think, uh, you know, it's hard to do that because it's, it's hard to live so far in the future that you're, you're making decisions, you know, 20 years ahead. So, you know, I would, I would try to do a better job of that, but uh, ultimately you got to live your life too. And that means living the moment. So it's, it's, it's a balancing act, right? Really, really cool. Where can people uh, find you? Um, eightweeksout.com is probably the easiest place, just number eight. And then weeksout.com is, is where I've got uh, articles and courses, certifications, Tech, HRV, all that good stuff is just on my website. Or they can look at the Instagram coach, Joel Jameson, J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N. Find me there as well. When are you going to be releasing your next book? Because you already have a bunch of books out. So when's the, when's the next um, book? I don't know. Honestly, I'm, I'm working on uh, some programs, some conditioning programs, and then probably do a certification around recovery and stress resilience and that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know when the next book is. Books are Books are a lot of work, take a lot of time to crank out. So I, I got to find the patience to sit down and, and write the next one. It's one I've been meaning to for a long time, but we'll see what actually happens. It'll come at the right time. You're, you're a busy guy. So that's yep. like, I'm sure it'll come with sooner or later.
<laughs> Joel, mate, I, I really appreciate this. So, so thank you once again. Thank you for your time. And yeah, cheers. Appreciate it. No problem. It. Great to have you on and I uh, hope to talk to you guys again soon. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would mean the world to me if you left a five-star written review and subscribe so we can all make a bigger impact together.